Welcome to the Everything Leaves podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza. Nick, bit of a rough week to start off. It was a 6-1 loss to Philly, 3-1 loss to Colorado. There was It felt like the sky was falling. How important was that Saturday night win against the defending Stanley Cup champions? I think it was really important. I was probably a little bit higher on the Leafs game than most uh, the first two games, but I mean, they need to start winning games and a game... A win against a team as good as St. Louis, that sounds good to me, so it's a good ending. Yeah, I think they got off to such a good start in the Keith era, whether it was that Arizona win, the Colorado win, and then the Detroit win, and then it turned pretty quickly where you had just won one of two in, in against Buffalo, one being the overtime win, and then back-to-back losses against Philly and Colorado, so I think there was a lot of optimism with Keith. The, the new Keefe era to start. You can you can blame Babcock for the team's early struggles. Um, but it seemed like if the Leafs would have lost that St. Louis game, there would have been some panic. I don't I don't know if this would be a very po- positive podcast and I don't I think we'd be a little bit tired of of some of the articles you'd be seeing because there seemed to be a lot of frustration after that Colorado loss. And I, I mean anytime the Leafs play the Blues or even the Bruins obviously but any team that's kind of you know talked about as a physical hockey team it doesn't matter really the way they lose any of those narratives are going to come up so I'm really glad that they won and won convincingly all right perfect so saying that who are your three stars of the week so we had the Philly loss the Colorado loss and then finally the St. Louis win who are your three stars Okay, so I'll start with Zach Hyman, back from injury. Um, he's he's turned into a goal scorer since coming back, so that's awesome to see. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, he's obviously doing the things that we know Zach Hyman, uh, what he's known for. He's winning puck battles, he's winning races, he's uh, being strong defensively, and he's been a good penalty killer. So, I mean, the goals are just a cherry on top, and, I mean, he's, he's scored, what has he scored, three goals since he's come back? So, I mean... Yeah, I think he's on pace for over 20 goals. So that contract's looking better, you know, every day. And I think losing Hyman, we kind of realize how important he is. Uh, quickly, I'll get to the last two. So I'll go Jason Spezza. Um, has just come alive since Keefe um, became the coach. He's really just taking this role and, and taking this chance and r- running with it. And it seems like the way Keefe wants the Leafs to play really benefits Spezza. And I was glad to see him score again on... Uh, on Saturday, that was. And my third star um, is going to be Justin Hall. I think when Keith was asked last week about uh, CeCe's usage and Hall's usage, he said that he likes how Hall has been progressing into this top four role and potentially there might be a bigger role for him in the future. And now, this last game, we really saw his usage change as he saw um, one of the... he saw. I think it was the... He saw the Shen and Schwartz line for most of the night alongside Jake Muzzin and and CeCe's usage. I think he saw the third and fourth line all night. So it was really nice to see Hall step up into that role and play well. Uh, Who are your three stars? So I also had Hyman. So he scored against Colorado, the only goal, and then he had two against the Blues. So one was that right off the bat, the Marner pass, and the other one was the shorthanded goal from Engvall. So... Uh, three goals in two games, as you mentioned, just getting him back, a, a heavier body on a team that could use one, and just his ability to get in on the four-check win battles. 
Uh, I'm I'm happy to see that Haim and Tavares Marner line back together, and I was happy to see them get an even strength point against against St. Louis. Uh, so I had Hyman as well. I didn't pick Spezza. I think Spezza's soccer skills took him off my list. I've had him in the past, and I, I do think he's played well <laughs> under Keith. But uh, that Colorado giveaway, I just thought was brutal. But the other I forgot the, about that to be honest. Yeah, the other ones I had were Frederick Anderson, just because. Well, first, I tweeted the other day. He's he's had a nine eighteen save percentage this year, and going up at the last five seasons, so the last four plus this one, he's been nine nineteen, nine eighteen, nine eighteen, nine seventeen, and then nine eighteen again this year. So, just the most consistent player in the league. Um, I don't think he's the best player in the league, but if you start getting into the conversation of who's the most valuable to their team, I think he's got to be at least top ten. Like. Every the goaltender is important on every team, but it feels like Anderson is even more important than average on this team. So I I gave him uh, one of the stars. I say it every week, but I wish I could just like put him in bubble wrap. If that guy gets hurt, uh, the Leafs are in trouble. So the last one I had was Sheldon Keith. So I was at the Colorado game. I didn't know the lines ahead of time. Normally I I see the lineup, but. Uh, I didn't for this case, and about halfway through the first period, I noticed Goche was out of the lineup. Um, he's already taken Shore out, obviously, he lost him to Winnipeg. Um, so I just, I like what he's done with the lineup. He's trusted Justin Hall a lot more. Um, I know last year, Hall got into like 11 games, and uh, now it feels like he's the best right-shooting defensive defenseman on the team. I mean, I, I don't really trust Cody Ceci. Uh, for obvious reasons, and then Tyson Berry is, is a very offensive player. So just the emergence of Hall and the importance of the team, I, I can see why you put him there. Um, so I'll give cre- some credit for Keith for that. And then with the fourth line, like I, th- I thought that Goche shoreline, I know we've talked about this in the past, I just thought they brought zero offense, and the, and the team's needed scoring as of late. And that Engvall, sh- Engvall and Spezza, what I like about them together is the same thing with Goche and Shore was – you have a left hand and a right hand faceoff specialist there, um, so it, it felt like if you if they iced the puck if they got caught out against the first line of the other team, I felt a little bit confident being at least they can win the faceoff, get it out. With Engvall and Spezza, you still have that. Spezza's great on draws; he's the right shot. Uh, Engvall played a lot of center with the Marlies as the left shot, so they both got points on special teams on on Saturday night Spezza with the with the point shot on the power play we finally got a power play two goal and then Engvall with the he set up the the Hyman shorthanded goal so i just like the look of the lineup i think if they keep rolling out this lineup they'll have quite a lot of success um whether it be that Hyman Tavares Marner line back together um just i i think the lineup has made major strides under Keefe where we don't I'm, I'm hoping Goche stays out um, just so we get a little bit more offense so that was my uh, three stars uh, let's stick with the St. Louis game here so again with Keefe we had the three wins in a row then you lose three or four uh, it seemed to be panic mode I saw articles about selling I saw articles just bashing the Leafs um, and there was reason for criticism. They had not been playing well. I wanted better against Buffalo. Um, but one thing I'll point out is, is last year around this time, I actually wrote an article about Alex Petrangelo and how he might be a target for the Leafs. I think I wrote that you know, the, the best suitors for Petrangelo were Toronto and Boston. Both, both were kind of in go-for-it mode. Both needed right-shooting defensemen. Um, 
those were really the two suitors. And looking back at that, it just looks ridiculous because obviously we know what happened with St. Louis. They took off and ended up winning the cup. So it, it just feels like it's a little bit too early to write off the Leafs. Um, I'm curious to see your perspective on the team. Like if you had to put a, a percent chance of them making the playoffs right now, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? I'm optimistic. I mean, I would if I had to put a percentage on it, I think I'd probably put 50 to 60 and I know that their their work is is clearly cut out for them, but I don't think when I look at the other division, there's some pretty good teams that are competing there. The top 3 are um well, actually, I'd have to pull it up to be honest, but I know that there's at least 5 teams there. I don't know the order of the teams right now, but I know like Carolina's in there, Pittsburgh's in there, Washington's looking good. Um, so there's a lot of good teams in the other division. When I look at the the Atlantic division, I don't. I, I know Boston's obviously going to finish first. I think second, Tampa Bay's going to start really turning it up now, and they've got some games in hand. Um, and then after that, Florida is there, and Florida has been playing good hockey, and but I don't think that they are that much better than the Leafs that they can be better than them over a 50 game sample especially the way the Leafs have been playing lately I think they've been playing pretty good um, I think the Leafs can be three or four wins better than them um, Montreal I don't really trust very much and Buffalo they have a really tough stretch over this ne- next month so if they're still kind of in that conversation of the playoffs after this month then maybe I'd, I'll take them a little bit more seriously but for now I see the Leafs finishing third in the in the in the Atlantic um, but again, their work is cut out for them. So I'll give them 60%. How about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll go even further. I'll say maybe closer to 70%. I just, if, if they could stay healthy, this team is good enough to go on a run. Um, we, the power play has got to improve. They got to clean some stuff up defensively, but I just look at the lineup, especially that of late. And I just think that this is, this team's too good not to go on a run at some point. So I'm also optimistic. Um, one thing I wanted to go through today was kind of a bit of a recap of the season and and kind of what's gotten the Leafs to this point. So uh, we can break the season down into five-game segments, four-game segments. So I've done that. I just want to get your, your perspective on... Uh, so I broke it down to about six different segments here. So one being the opening stretch. So uh, the first five games of the year, you had the 5-3 win against Ottawa, a 4-1 win against Columbus, and then it felt like they were going to go 3-0. and They were up 4-1 against the Habs. That was the, the game where Kapanen threw a stick. Um, so they blew a 4-1 lead. They just got one point there. And then the fourth game, they lost to St. Louis 3-2. Uh, Binghamton, I just thought, stole the game there. So they could have really had eight points in four games. Um, and then they just didn't show up against Tampa. So the first five games of the year, they ended up with five points in five games. It felt like they should have had seven or eight, uh, at least six. Um, so I think, Nick, if you if you remember back to that point in the year, it just felt like a, to me, it felt like just a lost opportunity, um, whether it be the captain throwing the stick game, whether it be St. Louis, like Binghamton, just just stealing a game. Um, it feels like why the Leafs aren't in a playoff spot right now is is things like that, where they're just not capitalizing. Uh, what do you what What do you remember the most of those first five games? Um, well, I mean, after the first two wins, I 
felt like the team looked different at that time. And I guess hindsight bias kind of would tell me that's completely wrong. But I, I was thinking to myself, like, when will this team ever lose? And and that first the first two periods of that Habs game were, to me, some of the best, at the time, some of the best hockey I saw the Leafs play in quite a while. I remember thinking at that second intermission, thinking, like, this is what I envisioned this Leafs team to play. They're playing short passes. They're playing really quick. It was line after line. And the Habs looked like they were in a different... Sorry, the Leafs looked like they were in a different league than the Habs. And then obviously we know what happened after that. So yeah, I would agree. I think that's probably a, a missed opportunity um, with those games. I mean, St. Louis, what can you really do? Games like that happen. And, you know, in my opinion, games like that happened this week with the Colorado and the Philadelphia game to a certain extent. So, I mean, what can you do with that game? Right. So I think... The first five games, everyone's pretty happy with how they're playing, other than the fact that, A, they blew, they completely blew it against Montreal, and B, they just didn't show up against Tampa. But that could have been a, an eight-point and five-game stretch. Uh, I thought they played pretty well overall. Um, but the next five, so game six, 4-2 win against Minnesota. Pretty easy opponent there. Um, then they get into this back-to-back. So they, they go at Washington with a 4-3 loss. Uh, and then they go, so that was the, the day after the Minnesota game. That was a Hutchison game. And then they go, they face Boston, get a 4-3 win in overtime that they probably didn't deserve. They get a 4-3 loss to Columbus in overtime. Um, that's when they gave up two goals early. And then they had a Boston, second half of back-to-back in Boston. Uh, that was really just a tough game. So for me, I look at those five games. Uh, they end up with five points in five games, but uh, they lost Tavares for the last three games, including two Boston games. For me, that's just a tough schedule. So, I mean, facing Boston twice and Washington once in a five-game stretch, um, you're facing two row games, Boston and Washington, where are the second half of back-to-back. You're without Tavares for three games. Like, I'm actually okay with the 5-5 five and five there. I just think it was such a hard schedule. Can you say anything else? Like, Can you blame them for 5-5 five and five given that schedule? No, I mean, I, I think that first whole month, they had a pretty tough schedule with the back-to-backs. And I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to hear the excuses, but it is what it is, especially with the injuries. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess you can't blame them for that. So now the next stretch here is... I called it six games of hope. So this is still the Babcock era. Uh, this is where things are still looking okay. So they go 4-1 win against San Jose, where they hold them to 17 shots. Uh, then they go a 5-2 loss, second half of a back-to-back against Montreal. Um, so it was tied. The Habs scored three unanswered in the third. And then a 4-3 overtime loss to Washington. Uh, that was Ovechkin scored the winner. Uh, they go at Philly for a 4-3 shootout loss. Uh, they kind of, st- sorry, that's a shootout win. They kind of stole two points there. Uh, a 3-1 win against LA, and then a 2-1 overtime win against Vegas. So that was nine points in six games. Um, they were without Tavares for the first four of the six games. That was really the last great moment, or maybe not great moment, but good moment of the Babcock era. Um, I don't know if you even remember that stretch. I think that was the stretch where, at the end of it, Babcock had a quote where he said, we're exactly where we want to be. Uh, and he used the five-game segments. And I think they were pretty close to 
his goal of six points in five games, if I'm not mistaken. I know you have the numbers there. Um, so I think I think that quote came at the end, and everyone was wondering. Really, it, it, it didn't feel like at the time that it's it was where the Leafs needed to be, but I think he said something to that effect. Well, now we're going to find out why they aren't in a playoff spot. So game 17-22 to 22 here. Get ready. So buckle up. So a 3-2 shootout loss to Philadelphia. That's where they played quite well, but they only pick up a point. And then second half of a back-to-back was the Sunday night game against Chicago. They have a horrible first period. They nearly come back, but, I mean, it was a blowout for most of the night. Um, and I felt the Philadelphia-Chicago games were where they had to rack up points because of their tough schedule later on, uh, but they only got one out of a possible four. And then they go 5-4 loss to the Islanders, where the empty net goal ends up being the winner. A 4-2 loss to Boston, which is just a tough opponent. Um, the game that I think got Babcock fired, which was the 6-1 loss to Pittsburgh, was a back-to-back, but no Crosby, no Latang, no excuse, in my opinion. And then at Vegas for the 4-2 loss, uh, one being an empty net. But six-game losing streak. One of them was a shootout loss. Uh, I think by the end of it, it seemed pretty unanimous in terms of the decision to, to fire Babcock. I think when you have a team with this much talent, uh, you haven't had the playoff success in recent years, now you're losing six straight. Uh, I mean, Marner was Marner was injured for every game here, but I, I don't think that was enough of an excuse for a six-game losing streak when you have this much talent. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, when you break it down this way, you can. it's pretty easy to see that that's kind of the segment that has put them into this predicament. Um, but yeah, let's keep going with this. The Now that we're about to almost get to the Keefe here, which is what I want to listen about. We are just about to get to the Keefe. So under Babcock, just to recap, so we go 5-5, five 5-5, and 9-6, five, five and five, and which was a good stretch, and then one point in six games, which was what, what got Babcock fired. So one in six is just, I mean, out of a possible 12 points, just get one. Uh, pretty ridiculous, especially with this roster. So then I called the next set of games, new coach, new hope. So it's just three games. They go on a three-game win streak in the Keith era. So they go a 3-1 win against Arizona, a 5-3 win against Colorado, both road games, and then kind of a give-me-win, 6 nothing win against Detroit. Uh, Howard got hurt. Bernier wasn't feeling well. The Leafs got off to a huge lead. Um, I They did take care of business against a weak opponent, though, and I mean, Arizona's been playing well this year. Colorado's been playing well this year, both road games. So I think after the first three games of the Keefe era, 3-0, and all we could really say is, you know, this team looks way better. Yeah, that, that first three games, it almost felt like they had this, this new hope, exactly like you said. They were playing with a lot more enthusiasm than they were all year. They were playing... I mean, Keefe's system wasn't really in place and it probably isn't really in place just yet in terms of the way that they play I think they're still kind of learning it but those first three games were a huge improvement from what we saw before and then finally which is the most recent stretch of games so a five game stretch here um, starts off with a back-to-back against the Sabres where you were hoping the Leafs would keep the momentum going and they had a two-goal lead in that first game they ended up blowing it uh, we talked about it extensively last podcast, where 
A lot of people blame Hutchison. I think a lot of it was just mental errors. Uh, Tavares and Matthews come to mind there. Uh, but a 6-4 loss in that game. They responded with a 2-1 win against Buffalo. That was the Tavares OT winner. I thought that, that game was huge in hindsight, uh, especially when you consider they lost the last two. They didn't really play that well that night anyway. So it was, that was a big win. I agree. And then the Philly game where I didn't see the end of the Philly game. So I didn't I didn't subject myself to that. So I, I was I, driving to my own hockey and... I, I hear the Dermot goal on the radio, and it's and it's one one, and then I check the score later, and it's six one. So, I mean, with Drew gave the Flyers the lead with exactly ten minutes to go. Um, Konechny scored shortly after, and then they just, I mean, empty net goal, and then they give up two more. So, it was closer than it seems, but a little bit pathetic at the end there, and then. Uh, that 3-1 loss to Colorado is the game I was at, so it was back-to-back. I liked how Anderson uh, asked to play. I thought he gave him a, a chance to win. Um, obviously, I think Spezza's mistake kind of cost him there, but for me, that was an even game. Um, and then finally, which was the, the Saturday night game, the win against St. Louis, uh, which we've talked about pretty extensively now. But um, out of the last, let's say the last three games, just for this week, Let's start with the Philly game. What what do you you have to take away from that six one loss? To be honest, and I know this isn't really popular, I don't I didn't really care too much about kind of that late game collapse. To me, if you lose six one, you know, in that type of way, or if you lose three one to me, I mean it doesn't really matter to me, to be honest. I, I thought it was a close game throughout the game and then after that that Giroux goal went in and then the empty netters went in, then it kind of went off. And, and at that point, the game's over. Obviously, you'd like to see the team show a little bit of heart, especially for Anderson. But I think like in, in terms of looking forward and looking long-term, I personally didn't really care about the scoreline. Um, but I liked, I liked the way that they responded the next night against Colorado. I thought that they were, they looked like, Colorado's a very good team, first of all, and they were red hot when they played the Leafs. So, and even throughout the day, when you looked at Twitter or any articles, the the overall, overall mood was that the Leafs were going to get smoked against the Avalanche. So I thought they played pretty good. I thought they were right with the Avalanche. They didn't look out of place. They lo- also looked like an elite team. And then I think it was the McKinnon goal that was the winner in the end, right? Um, on the power play. That was, it was 0-0 at the time when McKinnon scored. Then Hyman tied it. And then Nishuskin, who can only score... I, no, I said that wrong. Uh, who can only score against the Leafs, scored on the Spezza blunder. That's what it was, yeah. So, and I mean, the Spezza blunder, it's something that, you know, we won't see again, most likely, knock on wood. But, so, I, I mean, I didn't really have a problem with that. And then, again, the game just the other day was arguably one of the best games I think we've seen all year. Obviously, kind of score effects took took their role at the end, where... The Blues kind of turned it on, but at that point, I mean, a team that is this offensively talented, they don't need that much and that many dangerous scoring chances to get goals, and this was a really good example of it. So I'll say I agree with you with the Philly game where, you know, it was 4-1 after the empty netter. I'm not happy that they they kind of quit on it, but I did did like how it kind of fired them up for the next game. Um, it gave them a little bit of extra motivation to come out against Colorado. Now, they didn't end up getting the win against Colorado, but 
Uh, as you said, I think the Spezza situation, that play was just a one-off. Um, something, A couple of things that were frustrating. Uh, one, So Hart saved 27 of 28 in the Philly game, and Grubauer saved 38 of 39 in the Colorado game. So the Leafs just ran into hot goaltenders this week, it felt like, until the St. Louis game at least. Um, and they only had one power play in each of those games. So a little bit frustrating right now, just four power plays in three games this week. I don't know why they can't get power plays. Um, and watching the Marlies, it feels like the complete opposite. Like the Marlies just go power play after power play. Uh, I don't think there's any clear reason for it. I don't think it's a style of play thing. It's just sometimes I'm just at a loss for words at why this team can't get power plays. Um, so the Colorado game, I mean, I didn't like the Timoshev penalty. It was an offensive zone penalty um, that ended up leading to a McKinnon goal. Uh, Hyman tied it on a really nice pass from Kerfoot. And then, again, like it, it felt like the Leafs came just inches to tying that up. So I know there were a lot of takes being, like a lot of the people saying the sky is falling after those two games. For me, they just ran into a hot goalie. And then it did. they did kind of get some luck back when I didn't think Binghamton was great in the St. Louis game. Yeah, well, I think that... Well, I'm kind of upset with you that you brought up that Timoshev penalty. I was, I, I'm kind of on Timoshev's side here. I thought that was a ridiculous call given the first, whatever it was. I think that was, was that in the first or second period? Regardless, I thought the refs let go of a few, they didn't make some calls before that. And then for them to call that offensive, that penalty there, I thought it was a little bit soft, especially given what was happening before the, before that. But um, I mean, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, I was at the game, so I didn't get the best angle of the team of just because I was at the game, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. But again, you, I guess each penalty needs to be looked at in a vacuum, and I guess that is a penalty, but it's so, it's so difficult to look at it that way as a fan, obviously. But um, so, yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, when you're playing a very good team like Colorado, that's kind of all it really takes to tilt the the ice into one team's favor is, is a call like that. So, I mean, I'm not going to talk about that too much, but, um, but yeah. And in terms of Bennington, I thought that I butchered that name too, but um, I thought that the Leafs deserved to play a goalie that wasn't on his game. Finally, I think when that Matthews goal went in, that was the point where it was like, okay, we're not going to be running into a goalie that's going to be standing on his head. He has some flaws in him. Because, I mean, Matthews has such a good shot, but I feel like he probably could have saved that. Same thing with the, the Spezza goal to a certain extent. So I'm not complaining here. The The Leafs ran into some crazy goalies this week, and, and their luck was sure to change. So I'm glad that it happened against the Blues. Yeah, and another thing I'll say about that Blues game specifically is... It was a nice special teams win. So they had two power plays. They scored on both of them. Uh, the Matthews goal is a bit fluky, but the Spezza goal, it was so nice to get a, a goal from the second power play unit, um, yet alone the power play. But the second power play unit, we just haven't been seeing that for, it seems like, forever. I can't even remember the previous second power play unit goal. Um, and then, so that was, that was two. And then they didn't give up a shorthanded goal, and they scored scored a shorthanded goal. Um, sorry, they didn't give up a, a goal while shorthanded, I should say. Um, I thought it was a nice play by Engvall. 
Uh, Jaime gets a second. Fortunately, didn't get the hat trick, but a few storylines coming out of that one. I think one was Matthews scoring draught, he getting two goals there. Um, I I don't think anyone was overly concerned with his production, but one thing I will say, and I'm curious to get your feedback here, is for me this year, the Matthews-Nylander duo has been outstanding. What's been missing is, I mean, I believe Marner led the league last year in, in primary points per 60 per yeah. minute at five on five. And he just hasn't been the same this year. Obviously, Tavares missed some time, Marner missed some time, but you got to get that line going. And I was happy to see them get an early five on five point on Hyman's goal. I'm happy to see that line back together. Um, they played well against O'Reilly's unit. And when that line can win their matchup, the Leafs normally have the depth behind them to win the game. That that line is so important to this team's success. And throughout the beginning of the year, the Leafs had so much trouble against the other team's top line. And Hyman, Tavares, Marner, I think this was actually their one of their first games, if not their first game, that they've played together. They've been injured at separate times throughout the year. So it was nice to see them all healthy. And I thought that they were fantastic. They had, they were pretty much positive across the board in terms of shot differential, expected goals differential. Uh, they scored on the night at 5-on-5. Five five. Marner, while we were talking about slumps, he's only had, he only has four even strength points before that game. And then he got the, the even strength assist, as you mentioned, um, on, the, on the first time in goal. So having them together and kind of freeing up that Matthews line to, to do what they do is huge for the Leafs. So it was nice to see that too. Also, Nylander had a little bit of a, of a drought going in. I think he only had one assist um, in his last four games. And then you already mentioned with Matthews, he had a little bit of a goal-scoring slump. So it's nice to kind of break all of those in the same game. But I wanted to mention, this Blues game kind of opened up um, some new usage, which I thought was really cool. We've we've seen Riley and Barry together uh, to start games since Keefe took over. And uh, usually when they're losing, he'll kind of reunite them. But then this game, we saw Riley and Barry get a lot of time together. And they were up against the O'Reilly night for most of the night. And then Muzzin Hall was against Shen and Schwartz. And then Dermot and Cece were against the third and fourth lines. I think this is the first game that we've seen Cece play against a line that wasn't in the top six for most of the game. So I was looking at it earlier. And so Cece's top opponents... At 5-on-5. Five five. I'm going to read it out here. Against the Blues, that was. I, I noticed he was... I think it was the Colorado game was the first game he was on the the third pair because I think it was the Philadelphia game where him and Riley had something like a 1% expected goals. It, it was brutal. Yeah, that was... I think that was the game where it was so... It was so mainstream that that line got absolutely destroyed that night. But here, here's CeCe's top opponents um, in terms of ice time at 5-on-5 five five against the Blues. So it was Vance Dunn, Thomas, Bortuzzo, Barbashev. Vince, Vince Dunn. What did I say? Vance. Okay, so Vince Dunn, uh, Walker, Bomeister. And then Justin Hall's top opponents was Schwartz, Shen, Dunn, Petrangelo, Bozak, and Pareko. So... It looks like 
I don't know if this is going to be something that's a long-term thing or something that's stable, but it looks like we're slowly starting to see Justin Hall's uh, role on the team really increase, which is something that I think a lot of people expected uh, with Keefe. But we're also seeing CeCe's role kind of slow down. And if the Leafs keep winning, then maybe it's something that stays together. Maybe. I don't know if I'm sold on the defense pairing. So I do like that CeCe's playing less for obvious reasons. Um, especially after that Philly game, I thought it was needed. The Riley-Barry pairing, I don't know. Like, if I'm an opposing forward, I am thrilled about getting that matchup. Um, they're, Riley's been weak defensively this year. Barry's pretty consistently weak defensively. They're both great puck movers, but it seems like it's almost like a diminishing returns when you have two... Two players with the exact same skill set on the ice. It, it is nice when you have an offensive zone start and you basically have five forwards out there. But I don't know if 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 there's a top line out against them, I'm worried. Um, so I, I like I like having Hall in a better position, like in in a more defensive position, just given the other right shooting defenseman on this team. But I, I'm just not sold on them as a pairing. I might switch it up again. I think I, I I do understand where you're coming from, but I think that I'll play devil's advocate here just to make it a little bit more fun. We have just never seen Riley, and and I mean, I definitely agree that Riley and Barry have their defensive problems and whatnot, but we've never seen Riley play with even a decent defenseman in large samples before. We saw Gardner him play with Gardner for a little bit, but that was that was I think Riley was a rookie and Gardner wasn't really the player that he is today or last year or the year before. So, and then I think the same thing with Barry. I don't think we've seen him really play with defensemen that are that good, especially as good as Riley. So they didn't play that bad against the Blues. I think they were positive in most things. And for the most of the night, they played the O'Reilly line, which is one of their top lines. So I'm almost intrigued to see how they do because I didn't. I thought that they were better than I expected. And obviously they're getting high offensive zone starts, which is something that is almost obvious in terms of how you want to use them. But I'm intrigued to see that because especially if it means that we're not going to see Riley CC against top competition, because I think overall that's going to help the Leafs a lot. I think, so I'll, I'll agree with you, and I think everyone will agree with you, saying that Riley hasn't had great partners, and it'll be exciting to see him with a better partner. Having said that, I think I think Muzzin was a better fit for Barry's skill set. The problem I didn't like with Muzzin Barry, that pairing, was Muzzin should be in a shutdown role, Barry should not be in a shutdown role. So it was a little bit tricky to figure out, okay, who should who's getting the tough tough minutes? Like if if you gotta play Boston, you want Muzzin there, but you don't want Barry there. So I do like Muzzin Hall more from that perspective. Not that Hall is some sort of all-star defensive defenseman, but, I mean, their other options on the right side are, are Barry and CeCe. So you'll take what you can get. With with Riley, Barry, I do think Barry's probably the best defenseman Riley's played with in a long time. At least for, hasn't been a sustainable stretch yet, but if he continues to do so, he'll certainly be the best defenseman he's played with. I just don't like your skill sets together. So I, I'm okay trying it for... You know the next three games and, and seeing how it goes but 
to me, it's instant offense on both ends. I think both players could use a babysitter back there. Um, I wouldn't mind. I liked the pairing I liked the most was the Riley Muzzin pairing from last year. Um, but then again, like most of the pairings I like, I either I either need to move Riley to the right side or Dermot to the right side to make it work. And then because it's a three left, three right setup right now, that means you have to move someone else from the right side over to their offside. So for me, and I'm curious, I know we talked about this last podcast with the CC trade, but they're paying him over $4 million to play on the third pair right now. I wonder if that gives them any extra incentive to move him. Um, obviously, moving him would, would free up some cap space, get things like a, a backup goalie. But I'm just, I'm so curious to find out what Dubis really thinks of CC. Uh, is this someone he wants in his playoff lineup legitimately, or is this someone who, you know, we saw with Phaneuf when he used to play with Gardner, where it's like a pump and dump. So there's so much mystery there. We don't really know which way he's, what he thinks or which way he's leaning. Um, I still think, and I don't know if you agree with this, I still think that they could get out of that contract if they wanted to. Well, I think this week has kind of given me some light on what they thought about CC, and we talked about this last week, where, I mean, to a certain extent, it is still a mystery, but the fact that they tried Hall um, and against, well, he's been playing top six competition for a little bit now, but the fact that he was playing against that Shen line and CC was against third and fourth lines, for me, kind of showed that what they really think about him um, I think they know that Riley CC is a problem against top competition. I think that's. I think we'd be silly to think that they don't. I mean, these are two like brilliant minds in Keefe and, and Dubis, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. Um, I, I think that this. I I don't mind CC on the third pairing, like on the team. Sorry, if he's on the third pairing, obviously that contract looks it, it looks bad in the first place, but having anyone that's, you know, costing you that much on the third pair is a problem in itself. Um, so, I mean, if they do move them, that's fantastic. But I think these pairings right now, I'm really intrigued to see because uh, I think I said like the second week or third week that I really would like to see Muzzin Hall against top competition. And that was my biggest issue with the Leafs D. Whether that means that it's Riley, um, Barry or... Well, I don't want to see Riley CC, but Riley Dermott maybe. Riley Dermott, but then you have two righties together, right? And Barry and um, and CC, so that's kind of tough. But yeah, my main concern is is get Muzzin and Hall and try them out against top lines and and put them with Tavares, Hyman, and Marner and see what you get because the Leafs have enough offensive scoring that they can outscore second, third, and fourth lines if they are able to stop that first line. So. For me, it's that's the most important thing, and if it means Riley Barry have to be together and and in offensive zones, and you know you have to kind of bite the bullet on defense in order to have Muzzin Hall together against top lines, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind. I don't know if this is the D pairings we end up with. It'd be interesting. I mean, I do like the Muzzin Hall pairing together. Uh, I just think both bigger bodies, both move pretty well. Seems to work. Um, I wouldn't mind Riley with Hall. I wouldn't mind Muzzin with... I didn't mind the Muzzin-Berry pairing, but uh, 
the one thing I'm hoping for is that I, I want to see the defensemen shoot a little bit less. Uh, it seems like I, I do like that they're jumping up and pinching and being aggressive, but I, I want to shoot. I want to see a little bit less in terms of low danger chances. Um, I don't have too many takeaways from this week in terms of the usage, other than I'm still not too sure about the defensemen uh, in terms of the pairings. I'm much happier with the forward lines, you know, that Gauthier's out and, and Shores in Winnipeg. Um, I'm just hoping they keep the forward lines the same. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention here, a little bit off topic, but Andreas Janssen. So I saw, I don't know where this came from, but there was something, whether it was on Twitter or or, or an article, I, I don't know where it came from, but uh, I saw a Janssen for Gorgiev trade floating around there, just as an idea, not a rumor. What are your thoughts on trading Janssen for a player like Georgiev? I know I said that wrong. I saw that too. I think that I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to even start, trying to think of how to start. But I am not, I'm not in a fan of trading a top six to us top six forward who is on a pretty good contract based on his on his production in the past. Uh, who's been on the best line that the Leafs have had this year, and he's a big part of it, um, part of the, the Matthews and Nylander. He might not have kind of obviously the shine or may not get the credit that the other two do, but he's been good on that line, and he's been a good net front presence. He's won a ton of pucks, and he's been a decent finisher um, on the power play. Now, I wanted to talk about his finishing actually at even strength this year because you know I'm a big fan of Andreas Janssen. I think he's he's fantastic, and he does a lot of things that people don't notice, such as his ability to get open and his ability to to be... His, his positioning off the puck is really good. So last year he shot, and I'm trying to remember the numbers here, but he shot around a, a 10 to 11% even strength. Year before was around the same. This year he's he's been shooting 3%. I think it's 3.5 or 3.6% at even strength. I would be curious to know if people would still be putting him in trade rumors, or, or sorry, not trade rumors, trade proposals for backup goalies, if he was shooting even 7 to 8%, so if he had a few more goals than he has right now at even strengths. I don't think they would, but obviously as soon as someone's struggling and then they get injured and you know someone potentially comes and replaces them for a little bit, those trade proposals kind of start flying. So I wasn't surprised to see it, but trading anyone when they are low, especially a guy like Janssen, is just not a very ideal thing to do. Yeah, so I was going to mention the shooting percentage thing too, so I'm glad you did. Um, with Janssen, he plays a pretty heavy style. He'll go to the net. Uh, he, he was penalty killing for Keefe, and I think he used to do that in the Marlies, and he was quite good at it. So just a guy you can play in all situations. Um, I think people are a little bit low on him right now, and because so many of the Leafs wingers have been playing well behind him, whether it be Mikhaev, Engvall, uh, they still have Trevor Moore, even though he's hurt. Um, because of all their depth, it seems like people are deeming him expendable. Um, but with Georgiev, it's kind of tough to figure out what to make of him. He's got a 926 save percentage in 14 games this year. He was at 914 the previous year at the Rangers, but... I mean, he also went 883 in 11 games in the AHL, so that's a very small sample. I know even strength save percentage 
might not be the best indicator of, of how good a goalie is, but um, if I'm the Rangers, I'm like it, it's so tough to scout goalies. And if if the Rangers believe in this guy, like you might as well take your chances on a goalie. Um, he's only 23. Johnson is, as you as you mentioned, a good player, but goaltending is the most important position in hockey. And and for me, the Leafs are better off going after like an established older goaltender where they can get for cheaper. Um, and, and for the Rangers, they're probably better off banking on the goalie and, and just hoping for the best, hoping they get uh, some sort of star. So, again, I'm not a goalie expert by any means, but for me, it, it's just a deal that doesn't really make much sense for, for either team right now. I'm hoping that if they can unload CC, then you have some, some cap space for someone like Bernier, uh, there's not really too many options now, but maybe by the deadline you, you have a few more. Uh, personally, I think Hutch is going to be better. Um, I think he'll be maybe a slightly below average goaltender, but uh, this is a guy who's won games before, and I'm going to give him maybe two more games to uh, get his act together. So uh, I think as we mentioned in that Buffalo game, it wasn't all his fault. I mean, they're not playing well in front of him, but uh, certainly... I think if he has a couple more poor outings, they'll probably make to look to make a change. I, I'm kind of surprised they took Okaskasua to be honest so quick. Um, I know that I think that was during the Babcock era, but um, I thought he played okay to deserve another game. But uh, I can't remember the reason why they brought him down. Was it just to bring because Hutch was playing so well with the Marlies, or um, well, Hutch did play well with the Marlies. I I, I think. I'm not sure they're sold on Kaskasuo long term. I think it was a good opportunity to get Hutchison some some games and some confidence. Um, but I mean, they could switch it back. I, I don't know if switching it would give the fan base much confidence. But yeah, I think they just need wins. Yeah, I, I think with goalies, it's just like so momentum based sometimes, and like it, yeah, Kaskasuo is definitely not a long term uh, solution, but. I mean, like, if you need a win, just ride the hot hand. I, I mean, at this point, it's it's so tough to know, but they just need they need their backup goalies to win some games for them. While we're talking about the Marlies here with Cassiusuo, so I want to get into them quickly. So the first thing I'm going to say about the Marlies is they have not been that good. They're getting outshot on a pretty regular basis, um, but they were, I believe, they went. Well, the Sunday game, when we were recording, they won uh, last week. So it was a 5-3 win against Utica. I guess we'll camp that here. And then a they got shut out 4-0 to Rochester. And then they won both sets of a home-and-home. Home. It was just, just a home-home, I guess. There was no game in San, San Antonio. But uh, they're winning games. I don't know if they're playing that well every game. But uh, they did beat Borgman in the in the Rampage the other night. Um few players I'll note is Mason Marchman's back. Uh, he had five shots in the last game against San Antonio. I think he's going to be up, maybe not this year just because they're wing depth, but I think he's going to be in the NHL next year. He is strong, takeaway specialist. Obviously, he provides some toughness, and uh, I know some Leafs fans want that, but for me, it's just the ability to get net front goals. The takeaways really lead to extra shots. I don't think that team has a ton of transition skill right now, but when Marchman's with someone like Bracco, I just think magic happens. And 
I had Marchman slightly ahead of Engvall, I believe, coming into the year. Obviously, we've seen what Engvall can do. I wouldn't be shocked if Marchment broke in with the Leafs next year. Um, and I think it speaks volumes when you're thinking about resigning guys. Like, I would not want to pay Mikhaev right now just because it seems like the Leafs have so many options on the wing. You know me and Marchman. I think I've been a big critic of him in the past. He, But this year since he came back, and it's only been a few games, he's impressed me to a certain extent. And I, I guess I kind of forgot what he brings to the table because I guess we haven't seen him play in quite a while. Um, but I also like, he, he is a great, he is a takeaway specialist. He's... His long strides kind of get him right into into reach, and then he's he's a good he's good at stick lifting and getting a stick right in there. And obviously, he can use the body. I am still unsure about if I would have him in my team next year, just because Dubis has proven that he can give the Leafs a lot of fourth line options this year. He signed Agostino, he signed Aberg, he signed Matt Reed. Uh, they got Gaudet, and then they also had all the Marlies like Bracco. Uh, Timoshov, Engvall, who all were NHL ready. So Marchman's, you know, he's his work is cut out for him to make the team next year, but he does offer something that the other kind of his competition don't really. But I just want to see more of his game kind of grow away from the toughness and more with the puck. Um, I'd like to see him become a little bit better in transition, and obviously that's not kind of his calling card, but... I would like to see that because, you know, when we look at the guys that do get called up by the Leafs, they're pretty complete players. I mean, when you look at Janssen, Kapanen, uh, even Trevor Moore, they come up as very good all-around players and they really thrive with the Leafs as soon as they get there. And I think even Engvall to a certain extent. So that's where I would like to see Marchman kind of improve if I, he wants to slot into my personal uh, lineup for next year. Yeah, I think... One thing I'm frustrated with, I mentioned earlier, is the lack of power plays. And, I mean, Marchman's a pain in the ass to play against. Like, it, he's just incredibly strong and just a, a incredible pest. I think the Leafs could use something like that. But it just seems whatever line he's on, if, if you can get the puck in the offensive zone for him, he'll get you extra possessions just with that takeaway skill. Marchman actually wasn't the... The tough guy for this week. It was Rasmus Sandin. <laughs> so he got in a fight this week. Travis Dermott got in a fight this week. What is going on with the Leafs young defenseman, Nick? Should they be fi- should they be fighting? Is Lilligren fighting next? Like what's what's happening here? Sandin, I was scared when he was fighting. So was I. Dermott, I think Dermot was. I think it was building up for Dermot. He's had like three straight games where he's been like in a in a in a scuffle. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with him, but it just feels like it's just been building up and it finally, he finally just let loose with that fight. Um, with Sandine, so other than the fight, he had a really nice pass, uh, on the Teddy Bear toss goal, um, where he basically takes the pass from Bracco, kicks it up to his stick, draws the defender and goalie towards him, and then finds Agostino, uh, for a goal. So Pretty easy tap in for Agostino. So uh, he continues. He's he's strong out there. He's not the best skater, but he's just such a talented puck mover. Uh, strong again, strong in battles. I'm excited to see him at the World Juniors if he goes. I'd like to see him at the Leafs. I think he's NHL ready, but I'll I guess I'll settle for the World Juniors with Lilligren. I'll say he's taking huge strides when he has the puck. So. 
I, I compare it to an NFL running back where it's like yards after contact. I'd say a couple years ago, like when when he carried the puck up and he got caught, he would just that'd be it. Either turn it over or he he'd have to dump it in or make a play then. Now it just seems like he's able to jump in, carry it further, uh, kind of shake off more contact and, and carry the puck further. So he's really coming along. I don't know if I'd bring him up yet. I want to kind of see him get his offensive confidence going for a, a longer stretch. Because um, I don't think it was really there last year, at least not to the point where it is now. But I know you, I saw your tweet this week about Sandine and Lilligren being like the Sedines, the way they're passing. Uh, I'm guessing that you've liked that duo together. I think they've been good, obviously. They're the bright spot for the Marlies, and it's definitely fun to watch them in comparison to the Marlies' other pairings. Um, and that's no shade against them. I mean, I think Kivihalme and Rubens have been okay, and then it's it's a lot more fun to watch the third pairing on the Marlies when, when Hollowell's up, obviously, but... Whenever you, you talked about the, the Marley's transition uh, play, and yeah, their forwards have definitely taken a hit this year, but whenever Sandine and Lilligren are on the ice, it almost feels like their transition play is, the Marley's transition play is, is usually driven by those two. Um, and they're not scared to kind of lead the rush themselves and, and get into the offensive zone. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to say is... I'm less, I'm less accept, I'm not going to accept their bottom four defenseman. I mean, I like Schmaltz, but like, I know you're trying to be nice here, but. Oh, it's, it's tough to watch. When Lilligren and Sandy aren't on the ice, they are pretty bad. It's a tough watch. <laughs> yeah. The, the with or without you with Sandy and Lilligren versus without is pretty significant. Like, I, I, they're getting a shot on a pretty consistent basis and I cannot stand watching Ben Harper play hockey. Um, but we still haven't... I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. We're about 55 minutes in here. The Marlies' leading scorer to date is no longer with the Marlies. It is officially Aberg season. What did you think about, first, the decision to call him up, uh, second, the decision to play him with Matthews and Nylander, and last but not least, what were your thoughts on on his on his play at the NHL level this week? Uh, well, obviously, I was I love Pontus Edberg. I thought he's been one of the best Marlies of the year, um, arguably their best forward, definitely their most consistent on on both ends of the ice. He looks like he's just a step ahead of everyone in the AHL. Um, so I was I was happy to bring him up. I loved that Keith decided to to put him up to play with Matthews and Nylander, and I think that's just a huge example of putting a player in a position where they're going to thrive rather than one, rather than taking a player and, and, and molding him into something he's not. It's just saying, well, these are your strengths. Go do, go do that. So I was a big fan of that. I thought that he was looked a little bit timid playing with Matthews and, and um, Matthews and Nylander. And obviously it's their, his first game with them. Um, he has had some experience playing in on top lines before. He's he spent some time with Ryan Getzlav last year, but obviously Ryan Getzlav is a is a much different player than Matthews and even Nylander. So I think there is going to be a bit of a learning curve when it comes to kind of learning the the movements of Matthews and Nylanders and their tendencies. But I thought off the puck Aberg was awesome. He had a few really good back checks. 
So it's nice to see him um, kind of con- contributing that way. But I want to see it keep going for a few games, and, and we'll see how he does. Because I think there is something there with, with Aberg. I don't think that line's going to be as good as they are with, with Janssen, but I think there's something there. So I'll say with with Abe, first, you mentioned Getzlav, and uh, while we're on the topic here, Getzlav fought Nick Ellers, Nikolai Ellers, the other day, so I'm hoping Sandine and Dermot don't get any ideas there, but in terms of Aberg's play with the Marlies this year, I think he's been their best winger, I think he's been deserving. Uh, he offers more of a two-way game than Baracko does. Uh, he offers more goal scoring than Bracco does. Uh, Bracco still just has three goals. He's just an assist machine. Um, so I was okay with Aberg over over Bracco. I think he's outplayed him this year, frankly. Um, not that Bracco's been bad. It's just that Aberg's been pretty consistent and pretty consistent and, and a pretty good two way player with the Marlies. And then I I don't love him with Matthews and Nylander. I like, as you said, the idea to call these guys up and put them in a position to succeed and get some confidence, but I'm not sure I love their skill sets together. I, I preferred Aberg on the right wing. That's pretty largely played with the Marlies. Um, Aberg was a, a pretty big power play scorer at the Marlies in that ovechkin Stamsko spot. Obviously, he's not going to get that opportunity uh, on the Leafs' top unit. Um, I, I liked Engvall with Aberg in the AHL level. I wouldn't mind reuniting them on the fourth line and, and seeing what they can do. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing Engvall with Matthews and Nylander. He gives them a bit of a defensive presence. You can get on the forecheck, a little bit of size. Um, I wouldn't mind going back to Makayev there. I, I'm not too sold on Aberg, but I do like having a guy like Aberg in the lineup over Gauthier just for a little bit more offense and, I do think it was deserving that that he got the call up. Yeah, I'll say that I I also like um, Aberg with Matthews and Nylander. Also because I think we know that Engvall can play on that fourth line and he's been really good playing uh, with them. And and when it comes to Mikheyev, he also has been, you know, he's he's worked well with Kerfoot and Kapanen on on that third line. So I think also Aberg being on that first line kind of is... Also a placeholder in, in, in a way because that Mikheyev, Kerfoot, Kapanen line can stay together. And as we know, Engvall is, has worked well with that fourth line. So I think that's why I'm also a little bit higher on having Aberg on that top line. But I, I mean, I could see where you're coming from for sure. So going into the future of the of Aberg season here, we got the week ahead. So Tuesday night, they have a 10 o'clock game against Vancouver. Um, it is at 10 o'clock. I don't know if you want to text your mom, ask if, if you can stay up late for that one. Uh, it is at 10 o'clock. I'll just warn you now. Uh, and then Thursday, Calgary, 9 p.m. and Edmonton, 7 p.m. So Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, all road games. How many points do you think the Leafs need for you to be happy there? And what do you think the odds are that you're allowed to stay up? Oh, um, okay. So first question, I'll say that I'm going to stick with four. I think I'm 0 for 3 whenever I say 4 points on the week. But again, these are these are games that the Leafs need to win. And, you know, they can't they can't really lose anymore. So if I'm going to be right about the Leafs making the playoffs, they need to start winning games. So I'll go 4 points out of a possible 6. And the chances that I'm allowed to stay up, 
I think there's higher chances that the Leafs uh, get four points than the chances of me staying up. So wow, I'm very very optimistic on the on the team right now. Wow, Mr. Souza is it's a load management. She's trying to rest you, I guess. I'm gonna have my mom's gonna have to talk to your mom or something. All right, well we'll get it organized here. I'll say, in terms of the points, honestly, that 10 p.m. is gonna be tough to stay up for. But I guess it's Vancouver. Pretty, I think Vancouver's pretty average, pretty average team. I think like they don't scare me that much. Uh, the Leafs should have the goaltending edge. Um, I'll say four two, just because. Calgary, I think, is a pretty good team. The other two, I'm not too sold on. Three, I wouldn't be thrilled with, so I'll have to say four as well. So I agree this time. Um, and then after that, they go Buffalo at the Rangers, Detroit, Carolina at the Devils, and then Rangers Wild. So pretty easy seven games to end the year after this week. If they have a successful week this week, I think the season's really starting to look up because... It is going to get easier. Uh, I think Freeman said on the on the broadcast, they're done with St. Louis. They're done with Colorado. Uh, they've already played Boston three times already, so the schedule is going to get easier. They can't possibly have this many back-to-backs. Other thing I'll point out is I think Keith said uh, we might see Hutchison on one of these road games because Anderson played both halves of the back-to-back. Um, if it's me, and I'm curious to get your thoughts here before I get out of here, would you play Hutch in any of these three? Like for me, I'm saying I'm I ride Anderson the whole week, and I wait to play Hutchson until they play next Saturday against Detroit. I know he said that, but again, we've seen Keith now make that last minute change, and and Anderson obviously wanted to play that game, and and Keith didn't. It didn't seem like he really had a problem in changing that, just because how badly Anderson wanted to play. Um, I don't mind if Hutchinson plays this game I guess you play him against Vancouver since Calgary is pretty hot right now and Edmonton's obviously been pretty good all year so I guess you would go against Vancouver but that's tomorrow night so yeah we'll have to uh discuss it on the next podcast I'm hoping we get Anderson for three we get to talk about three Frederick Anderson wins wouldn't mind talking about a backup win though either so uh with that we'll get out of here for this week Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.